You're listening to... No, that's not real. You're listening to The Heidi Rue Show. Yeah, that's better. Inspiring. Entertaining. Real. The Heidi Rue Show. So Rachel Brinke is with me today, and she is the founder. Get ready for this, okay? I guess you probably need to just get your seatbelt on because of all the things I'm about to tell you about Rachel. So she's the founder of Business Bites Podcast, uh, several successful uh, legal brands, including The Law Tog, Fit Legally. She's a mother of five. She's a wife to an Army veteran. She's a practicing lawyer, author, photographer, cancer survivor, and Team USA athlete. And I hate to start it off like this, but do you mind just telling us about your cancer journey? I was 20 when the cancer was found. I was actually pregnant with our first. My husband was active duty and getting ready to leave for Iraq. And we went to a Super Bowl party. And I was meeting his friends. And this lady I've never met before walks up to me and goes, you need to get your throat checked. And I'm like, who is this person? Like, I haven't even met you. I don't even know your name. And she goes, I see something in your neck because she had had the same thing. And sure enough, I went to the doctor and it was malignant cancer. Wow. So then how long, how long was that journey? It's been 11 and a half years now. The cancer itself consisted of, well, I had to give birth to my son first because I didn't want to do any surgeries. Um, and it wasn't as aggressive. They weren't really sure actually at the time if it was malignant. They had done biopsies. And they thought maybe they weren't sure, so they weren't. We weren't willing to take the risk, um, you know, with my being pregnant with my son. So waited till he was born, and then um, it was two surgeries and a round of radiation. And so, as, as far as cancers go, it was relatively clear cut and straightforward. And then yearly, I do scans and I take daily medication still. I just have to say that's, I mean, that is amazing in and of itself. And then you have continued to surpass that courage and um, and Mm -hmm. bravery. I want to talk about the Kona Ironman. So if, if, anybody has seen any of the you know sports news or whatever Kona Ironman just wrapped up and uh, Rachel was a competitor in it and she just actually got in like the other night so Rachel I want to know I mean how did it how did the race go were there any challenges that you faced or, or or what were your feelings I mean you know it's it's hard to kind of have any like negative thoughts about being on one of the biggest stages ever for triathlon, right? But, you know, all races have their own type of challenges and lines that you have to cross. I mean, you always get to a point you have to make a decision. You're either in or you're out. And being at Kona and on that course, I was just in. Like, you were going to have to, like, medically take me off. (laughs) I didn't get to that point, but that was kind of like, that was my mindset going in. I was just going to enjoy the day, and no matter how it went, Um, I was just going to push through and push past those lines and make those good choices, and I did. I mean, it was difficult. It was one of the hardest courses that I've done, but I think that's added to the entire experience, and um, it was great. I mean, just overall, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. How do you train to be able to swim in the Hawaiian? ocean because that's no joke right (laughs) no right well what's funny is it actually was my first real open water ocean swim so this was a lot of firsts for me you know the the ocean swim was my first in a race um this was the tallest bike course i've ever done it was actually almost five times more than i've ever done and the run course was extremely hot which i've done that before living in virginia we get really hot summers but 
the ocean water swim, you just can't prepare for it. But you know what? It was incredible. You could see straight down to the bottom. Um, you just had to watch your mouth and keep it closed so the waves didn't get into your mm-hmm. <laughs> get down your throat. But those that's just minor details to be able to really get to swim in paradise. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, because I know we've all heard it before, you know, so much of it is mental. So what do you do? to get over some of those mental hurdles that you've, you're you bound to face in a, in a race like that? I mean, you just have to take each of them at a time. You know, you do forward think and tell yourself, okay, I still have a marathon, so protect your leg. But even, like, when you're in that moment, you just have to keep each leg of the race in the forefront of your mind and just tell yourself, I'm going to get to the next swim buoy or I just need to get to the turnaround, and now I'll adjust my plan to see how I feel. If you look at it, Like the elephant, right? If you look at the whole elephant at one time, it's huge. And it sounds cliche to take it one bite at a time, but it's true. You just take it one stroke, one step, and kind of set a marker for where you're going to reassess how you feel. And that just gets me to the next step to know that, you know, it's it's manageable at that point. It's not this huge thing that I'm trying to take on at one time. Yeah. So how many triathlons have you done so far? Oh, I don't know. I've done all sorts of distances. This was my third full distance of 140.6 miles. Um, I've done smaller ones, a lot of half Ironmans, and then Olympic and Sprint. So a lot of shorter. I shouldn't call them smaller. They're shorter. They have their own challenges in their own way as well. Sure. And how did you get into this type of competition with, you know, with the long races and the triathlons and... I guess they would be called ultra-endurance races. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, you know, I have five kids, like you mentioned, and with having the thyroid taken out for my cancer, I've had a lot of difficulties with my weight. And I was barely unhappy with my weight, and nothing was working for it to come off. And one of my girlfriends, who I knew from high school, she had seen me kind of struggling on social media, and she was doing training for an Ironman. And she messaged me and said, hey, why don't you start running? Why don't you start, you know, maybe do a triathlon because you love to swim. And she sent me a box of running socks. And, <laughs> and it's so funny because it all did start with a pair of socks, right? Wow. And it was a simple invitation. And now I've created, I mean, she's created a monster, really. I've just gone from there. I started uh, with the triathlon. Actually, no, let me back up. I started with a 5K run went to a 10K, half, you know, and so on. And then same thing with triathlon. Started with a sprint and just built up until I got to the iron distance. I want you to tell me, Rachel, about Team USA and how that came to be. (laughs) All of these, is the theme here, now that you're asking me this, all of this simply has come from invitations of friends. That one was also from a girlfriend, Leslie. She was on Team USA and she goes, I want you to come out to California with me to nationals and see if you can make the team. Well, actually, she said, you can make the team. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm not sure I can. I was in the middle of training for a different race, and I was really tired. And she goes, well, worst case, you'll come hang out with me in California for a couple of days. So I went out there, raced, and qualified, and ended up going to Canada that year. Then the second year, I qualified again, and we went to Denmark this last summer So with Team USA to compete. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it, that definitely was an interesting journey because it wasn't necessarily something that was on my list, and it just was a quick invitation, booked a flight, and then there I was. I mean, but I had already been putting in the work. So it wasn't like I went from couch to 
Team USA. I had already been training at that point. Yeah. But did you have any any inkling in your mind when you were flying over there? Let, wait, I may actually. No. None. I had no idea. I really just thought I was going to go hang out with a couple of girlfriends and swim in the California water. I didn't really think that I was actually going to make it. And I did. And then um, the next two years that I competed internationally, I was 10th in the world, then 12th in the world. And so that never, ever crossed my mind that that would ever be me. So what do your kids think of you being an Olympic athlete? They think it's pretty incredible yeah. that I want to see me as they. I mean, they, <laughs> I, I think they just think it's normal, though, at the same time, <laughs> yeah. because they, it's all they've really known. Yeah. And I think they find it weird when their friend's parents don't do Iron Man <laughs> right. or they don't compete. <laughs> right. Your parent isn't an Olympic athlete? Weird. <laughs> um, yeah. That's no, weird. they love it. And they're also, they've done local triathlons and they're, they're excited to do more with it. They're on swim team and running club. So we'll see what they do. If they want to go into the sport, that's great. If not, you know, hopefully they find something that they love as much as I love triathlon. Okay, so your kids are involved in all these things. You run, like, several businesses, a podcast, mm-hmm. plus your training. What in the world does a typical day look like for you? So got to remember, when you're mentioning all of this, everyone listening, you're looking at this, in like the middle of my book. You're not looking at the chapter at the very beginning. So all of this just didn't come about now. You know, this is over a decade's worth of building businesses, having babies, and training's only been about three years. It's only been, yeah, it's been about three and a half years since I joined triathlon. Um, but it, all of this was built incrementally, and then now it's all relatively maintained and continues to grow because I built and have a really good community. On a personal side, my husband, my parents, my kids. I have a really good community of running club members. All of them really surround me to help me to be able to do stuff on the personal side. On the business side, I have really good team members. Um, they've done a really good job of cultivating good team member environments. We're very supportive of one another's hobbies, even just outside of the job. But we're also very flexible to know um, that we put life above business. Like business and career is important, especially since it financially supports my families, but we really do inspire and I try to push for my, I don't like to call them employees because I really do feel like we're team members, um, that we all have our own interests outside of that. And so we kind of just come together and make a plan together within the business. Like when I was gone to Hawaii this last week, I didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to do a lot of anything. My team was there to pick up the slack and do everything for me, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. So how do you set up a business? Like if you were to give somebody else advice, if they were just starting their business and saying, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, here's some things to keep in mind as you're building it so that that way you can have that life, that you can have other people take over for you and feel confident Mm -hmm. that they're doing a good job. I think in order to be successful in any industry and to be able to do it fairly quickly, not to say it's easy, but fairly quickly and clearly is you need to focus on two major things. You need to have a very unique selling proposition. So you can look at an industry and go, okay, I would like to do X, Y, and Z within this, but you need to be very specific about it. One of my favorite books is um, The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. You have to be the purple cow in the field of brown and white cows. And if you look at my brand, that's essentially what I've done. There's tons of lawyers out there. I'm not recreating the wheel on anything, 
But all of my brands are very niche in the industries that they're in. For photographers, I'm very specific. So but that unique selling proposition that I'm specifically for photographers is, allows me to quickly and easily market and set up my business and talk directly who I want to talk to, which is point number two. You have to get very clear on who it is that you're selling or educating to. Those two things, unique selling proposition and who you're talking to, who your audience is, are two things that a lot of entrepreneurs overlook because they get so overtaken with passion and excitement, which is wonderful, but then you have to get very clear and get very targeted. I mean, they say riches are in the niches, and I don't just mean that in money. I mean in the time and effort that you put into things. Any action that I take because I'm so busy, I need it to cut through as quickly as possible through the noises out there to hit the person that I'm trying to talk to. The actions that I'm doing, I need them to be as efficient. And by being targeted to those two things, the unique selling proposition and the client avatar, the person I'm talking to, those two questions guide everything that I do, um, from creation of the brand to the marketing to the selling to customer service to everything. Um, that's really, really important. And, of course, the lawyer side of me has to say you still need to do all your proper like legal setups, making sure that you're choosing the right business names, that you're not infringing upon others, and there's a whole gamut of legal stuff for that. But before you can even dig into all that, you just have to get very specific on those two key things that I mentioned. Yeah. So, Rachel, did you, like, write out kind of what your your target customer looks like? Yes. Or, mm-hmm. you know, did you create, like, kind of a framework for that? Actually, I even named her. Her name is Ava the Avatar. Oh. And when I go to create something, I talk to her. When I go to write a blog post or a social media post, I stop and think, all right, Ava's going to be whipping out her phone, opening up her Instagram. She's going to have a cup of coffee because it's in the morning. She's probably French vanilla with almond milk. (laughs) And her kids are going to be running around getting ready for school. How can I get to her as quick as possible with this one post that I'm going to make? Because her attention span is extremely short because she has to get kids to school. That right there, that three sentences or whatever I just gave you, encapsulates almost all the demographics that I need to know about her. I sit and write a bullet point list of who Ava is and how I need to talk to her, what her likes, her dislikes. A lot of times when people go through the process of talking to their ideal customer, they only hit the top points. Female, age, you know, um, I get so specific. I know what she looks like. I know how she's going to respond to something. I All of that. Like, I get as very specific as possible because it's kind of like a bell curve. And Ava's at the very top of that curve, right? She's a very specific person. And it may sound alienating that I'm talking to her, but it's not. If you consider that you put her at the very top, what happens to the curve at the top? That's where the bulk of people would like demographics and similarities are going to be situated around her. While they may not have every single one of those things on that list, I'm going to capture a lot of the people that are around her simply because I'm talking directly to her. Sure. Well, it's the same thing even with voiceover, which what we do, we always tell people, you know, when you're doing a script, talk to one person because Mm -hmm. that creates the connection. Otherwise, you're just going to read words on a page. But if you have that Mm -hmm. one person that you're talking to, which sounds like it's the same for you, you're able to connect a little bit better through a blog post or, you know, an Instagram um, caption or whatever it is, you're actually able to connect better because you are talking to just one person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm from the flip side of that, too, is you see a lot of influencers or personal brands out there who are trying to gain brands, right? They're trying to gain sponsorships. 
but you can tell when they're trying to do that. And the goal is actually to not try to gain them. It's continually to be talking to the audience that that brand sponsor you want to have that they want to reach. They want to see how you do it, not just you garnering the attention of that sponsorship brand. So keeping your focus in your voice in all the social media platforms is really important. And, and, you know, and I'm glad you bring this up because I had an issue a couple of years ago. I allowed one negative comment from an audience member to sway me to go away from being so personal. And my brand lost steam. I got a lot more sterile, a lot more corporate, and a lot of, you know, and it was stupid of me, right? I really got distracted because I was so worried about negativity, and all it was was one person, and now, you know, it's so funny, my audience has welcomed me back with open arms, It's like I went somewhere, but (laughs) I did. My My personal side really wasn't injected for probably a good year because I thought, oh, you know what, education's most important. And it's not. It's actually the personal connection, and then, you know, I have to lay the personal connection first, and then I can educate and teach them and sell to them in whatever else I need to do. Oh, that's that's so true. But you know what? It's so relatable, though, Rachel, because all of us have taken one negative comment, and that's all Mm -hmm. we can think about, too, right? It just overtakes our mind, and we can't even think about all the other positive, wonderful things that were Mm -hmm. said that people are probably thinking, oh, I'm so glad that Rachel, I just feel like I know her. She's a friend. Um, Mm -hmm. So, that, yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Of course. Well, so, I have lots of mistakes. I think you guys <laughs> want, like, a whole other hour of this. I've got all sorts of things I can share. Right. So we'll have to listen to your podcast for more mistakes <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. right? Or more lessons <laughs> from the mistakes. Well, exactly. One of the things that I wanted to say, and you have, you have this great quote that I absolutely love, so I wanted to ask you more about it. You said, creativity can be more than a passion. It can be a livelihood, too. But only if you're willing to develop the business plan and legal protection necessary to thrive. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you, especially because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are creatives. Is that one of the biggest kind of hurdles or challenges that they face sometimes is within some of those details like a business plan and legal protection yeah, so the sword kind of goes both ways. When you work with creatives, and guys, I'm speaking to you as a creative. I'm a photographer as well. I've owned my own photography studio. Um, I may not be as creative as many of you, but I tried. <laughs> is that on the one end of, you know, one swipe of the sword, you have creatives who have the mindset of, I'll be creative, you build it, and they will come. Well, that's not necessarily true. Can you see there's a lot of not so good creatives out there who have really good businesses because they developed proper business and marketing plans, right? You know, your work can only carry you so far. Now, the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, the way that the sword falls is that you'll have creatives or just entrepreneurs in general, really, who become so paralyzed with needing a perfect business plan and a perfect marketing plan. And then once they create it, they have to stick to it. And it kind of becomes sterile, like I mentioned before, and, you know, it, it just they don't afford them to be able to be flexible and to grow. And you kind of have to find this happy medium in the middle. Like, for me, we don't write these. I have my MBA. I learned how to write these type of business plans where you sit down, you got 24 pages, double space, blah, blah, blah. We don't do that as a team. We sit down, and we have all sorts of, like, Excel trackers, 
and which sounds so like 1990s, but we found <laughs> it's one of the best ways because we continually change it. It's a yeah. living, breathing document. We'll write out a skeletal structure for the year. We'll do it by quarter. We'll do it by month. But we want to do it also in response to the changing industry that we're in, to the um, the way that, you know, the wave of, you know how social media comes oh, in waves, yeah. the things that people share. If I wrote out my two-year business plan, because we do two years into the future, if I wrote out two years and just stuck to that, I would get surpassed by social media if I didn't open my eyes and see what was going on. So I sure have to say it's like you, you do like a high level. You definitely need to have a plan. You need to know where you want to go, uh, a reach goal, you know, an attainable goal. But you also need to have the flexibility to know that it's a living, breathing document and you have to change. I mean, you know, one of the examples that I've seen that just with the clients I work with and for myself, you may come out the gate and think that your Ava the Avatar is this, you know, these 10 characteristics. You're trucking along thinking you're talking to her. But if you do the proper evaluations, you're able to see either A, am I attracting Ava, or B, am I attracting somebody who's not her at all? And if you don't stop to take and, like, reevaluate your plan and your um, analytics, then you're, you're not going to know if you're attracting the right person, polarizing the right people. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it just kind of is – there's no, like, perfect balance between all of it. You just have to – reassess. I mean, I guess it's kind of like athletics. I mean, like I mentioned before, I'm like, you know, when I get to the end of the swim, I'll reassess how I feel. And then we'll, then I'll make my game plan for the bike. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel that way. I mean, every time I go for a run, I feel like I somehow (laughs) feel enlightened more about general life circumstances or issue Mm -hmm. that I've had in the business. I feel like there's so many lessons that are great reminders for us as we go Mm -hmm. through life. Um, And I think that overall, Rachel, it sounds like to me, I was going to ask your advice on, you know, being a mom. And if someone's listening to you and going, wow, I mean, she just sounds like she has it all together. I really, I don't, I I want, I want that kind of life. How do I get there? But it sounds like you just, you're like, I just take one step at a time. The next day I get up and I, um, I mean, is that how you even approach training? Because I know I've only done sprint tries, and the only reason why I haven't done any more is because I'm like, I could, I just can't do that time of the training. It takes a well, lot. First of all, don't say only. Okay. Sprint tries are extremely difficult because they require you to all out the whole time. Right. So we're not going to downplay. They're not only. They're very – actually, I don't like sprint tries as much because of that. Like, it's like this to the end power the whole time, right? Right. <laughs> Okay, I'll take um, no, that, Rachel. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. It's not but just. No, but seriously, it's true. I mean, because, like, look at it. The Olympic distance triathlon, oh, my math sucks. But it's only, only, look at me, only. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is probably, oh, crap, I don't know. It's like a 10K run at most. Uh-huh. And we're looking at an iron distance is a marathon at the end. So, and the Olympic one, the one that's done in the Olympics, I mean, that's still extremely difficult, even though the distance is different. I think that's a great application to business. And when you're just trying to manage the family stuff, remember, I didn't wake up one day and all these five kids were here. It feels like it sometimes, (laughs) but I didn't. Same thing with the businesses. I didn't just wake up one day and have all the businesses. I grew one to success 
and then I took what I learned there and adapted it again. And the same thing goes for, and I'm not a perfect parent. You guys should have seen us on the flight back from Hawaii. It was a hot mess. <laughs> with five kids, they were tired. You know, we're all, like, sun-scorched and all that. But it's all about finding what works. And with five kids, what works for one works for a different one. And it, 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 to me, it really is just about being, what's the word, uh, not attentive, um, evaluative, I don't know, just kind of looking at the situation and being flexible and identifying what works in that moment. Sure. Well, Rachel, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Now, if, if people want to be able to follow you, to listen to your podcast, I mean, how how can they do that? I know that Business Bites podcast, so they can find that on iTunes, right? And yeah, all the places. (laughs) All the places. So you guys can go to rachelbranke.com. Okay. I'm the only Rachel Branke in the world. So it's easy to get a hold of me. Uh, but rachelbranke.com has all the social media, all the sites, the podcast, contact forms you want to reach out. We also have a Facebook group that I'm in. I do all my own social media interactions because that's one of the things that's really important to me. And I know it's really important to Ava. So if you guys have any questions, just reach out or, or just to chit chat. I absolutely love it and I welcome it. Well, great. Well, Rachel, thank you again so much, and I hope that you get some rest um, <laughs> and are able to recover and, and everything, and then I'm sure you're on to the next amazing thing yeah. after this. Well, so. I appreciate Thank you so much for having me. As a Georgia peach, she loves pleasing people, so she wants to know how she can improve the show. So let her know, either on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Heidi Rue. Also be kind, because she's my wife. And if she has a bad day, then I'm really going to hear about it. 